The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. On the show today, Scott Van Pelt will join us from Southern Hills in Tulsa, Oklahoma. That's the site of this year's PGA Championship. Tiger Woods is there. Phil Mickelson is not there. Uh, I will ask him about both of those uh, individuals uh, and we'll get his uh, picks and even maybe a sleeper pick or two. I know he wants to talk also about uh, the Caps uh, going out in six to the Panthers. I know he was disappointed about that. Uh, I have some Washington Commanders stuff for everybody to think about coming up here in a moment. But I wanted to start with how much I enjoyed watching the Miami Heat last night in the second half against Boston. Boston came into this game one of the Eastern Conference Finals limited. They were without Marcus Smart. They were without Al Horford last night. Horford uh, was in health protocols, uh, and Smart is battling um, a foot sprain. Uh, and, you know, they had the emotional weekend with the Game 6 win and then the seventh and deciding win, uh, game uh, on Sunday in Boston where they blew out the defending champion Bucks to advance to the Eastern Conference Finals. And Miami's had more time and more rest waiting. Uh, but they were down, the Heat were, at halftime uh, by 8, 62-54. to 54. Uh, Tatum had 21 in the first half and was sensational. And then came the third quarter. Jimmy Butler's been one of my favorite players in the NBA for a while. Um, I've mentioned before that I think Kawhi Leonard is not only my favorite player in the NBA, he is one of my favorite players right now in all sports. Now, he's been hurt for over a year, uh, and clearly the Clippers uh, missed him. They didn't make uh, the playoffs. They were in the play-in, and then they lost Paul George, so they didn't even make uh, the final eight. Uh, I would expect if Paul George and Kawhi Leonard are healthy next year and back, that the Clippers will be a threat um, in the West. But um, Butler, to me, is also one of these incredible two-way players and sometimes is kind of underrated because of his style and maybe sometimes because of the lack of aggressiveness offensively. But he led a Miami Heat defensive effort at the beginning of the third quarter that was just incredible to watch. It was suffocating. Boston could not get close 
to scoring. They had put up 62 in the first half, and they didn't make their first shot from the field in the third quarter until four minutes and 53 seconds remained in the quarter. At that point, they were already down double digits, and they went from an eight-point halftime lead to a 17-point end of third quarter deficit being outscored 39-14. to 39 points is a lot of points to score in a quarter. But make no mistake, if you were watching this, this was all about Miami's defense and the incredible aggressiveness and physicality that was taken up multiple notches to enter that third quarter. And it was really fun to watch. Jimmy Butler went for 41 in the game, but his defense is what led. Bam had four blocked shots. There were 20 blocked shots in the game last night, 12 by Miami, three by Jimmy Butler. Butler had three blocked shots to go with, you know, an incredible overall performance. As I mentioned, uh, 41 points uh, in the game for Butler, uh, including 17 in the third quarter of that game. But Butler also added an incredible overall box score. Butler finished with the 41 points, had three block shots, as I mentioned, four steals, nine rebounds, and five assists. He was great. He was unbelievable in the game last night. Love watching him play. Now, that third quarter was epic. The Celtics were 2-for-15 from the field. It was their worst shooting quarter over the last four seasons, playoffs and regular season. Also, I mentioned that it took Boston seven minutes and seven seconds to score in the third quarter from the field. The last time it took Boston that long to score in a quarter was back in 2002. And something got mentioned during the course of the game, and I went to look it up after the game, and I was amazed at what I found. Um, The last time it took Boston seven-plus minutes to score in a quarter was Game 3 of the 2002 Eastern Conference Semifinals against Detroit a game in which the final score was 66 to 64 in a playoff game in the NBA the final score of the game was 66 to 64 Boston over Detroit i did a double take when i heard it i still didn't believe it until i went to basketballreference.com i pulled up the game box score Uh, These were the uh, Celtics of Paul Pierce, Antoine Walker, Kenny Anderson, uh, etc. It was the uh, Pistons of Stackhouse and Cliff Robinson and Ben Wallace before they had their championship nucleus with Rasheed Wallace and with Chauncey Billups. Um, 66-64, a game in which the Pistons shot... 34.8% from the field. The Celtics shot 34.6% from the field. And the two teams combined to go four for 39 from behind the arc. Four for 39. The score at halftime was Boston 37, Detroit 33. The score at the end of three quarters of an NBA playoff game was 48 to 48. 
I mentioned the other night when Phoenix, uh, or I mentioned the other day about Phoenix having just 50 points at the end of the third quarter in Game 7 at home against Dallas. They ended up scoring 40 in the, in the fourth period to end up with 90 overall, but that I just could not remember a team having only 50 points through three quarters. Well, the NBA back in 2002 pre the elimination of the hand check, pre the defensive three-second rule, I think. It was really the elimination of the hand check uh, that that uh, created a more free-flowing game. Remember, the NBA was in trouble. You know, we were now at the point where Jordan was gone. The three-peat of Shaq and Kobe was in the rear view a little bit. And we were into that stretch of San Antonio and the Nets and the Pistons and some ugly low-scoring basketball that, you know, teams were being stymied with hand checks and with overly physical play on the perimeter. 66 to 64 in that series, by the way, which only went five games. Boston won that series in five. Nobody scored a hundred points in a game. Nobody did. The most points scored in a game was Detroit scored 96 in game one, but the scores after that were 85 to 77, 66 to 64, 90 to 79, and then 90 to 81. Uh, basketball was in a tough spot then. I mean, as much of an NBA fan as I have been my entire life, that was a painful stretch of basketball to watch. It really was. You know, I've said many times, and I think we even talked about it yesterday, that really 2004, um, the Pistons uh, win in the NBA Finals with Chauncey Billups and Rasheed Wallace and Ben Wallace and Tayshaun Prince, um, Rip Hamilton, etc., um, that's the last time that a team won the title with an, without an obvious top five player in the league. And it was just a different game there for that stretch of years. You Jordan was in the rear view. God, the Showtime Lakers were very much in the rear view. Teams were defending and they were able to get away with anything uh, until – until they um, loosened up uh, the rules and allowed for a more free-flowing game by essentially, more than anything, eliminating the ability to hand-check on the perimeter. Anyway, I love the game last night. I love Jimmy Butler. I still think that Boston healthy, as long as they are healthy and get back to being full uh, at full strength, I still think they'll win this series. But God, Miami's so fun to watch if you are into really – uh, well-coached basketball teams. Uh, they have more than just one person involved in their offensive sets. Everybody understands their role um, offensively. Uh, Jimmy Butler is not overly aggressive. He got 41 points last night on 12 of 19 from the field. When I say overly aggressive, he got to the free throw line a ton. Um, but he doesn't, you know, he doesn't hunt his shots. Uh, the ball moves offensively, and they're so, so well coached by Eric Spolstra uh, defensively. They're exceptional defensively. Boston's a very good defensive team as well. Game one tonight um, between Luka and Steph, uh, Golden State and Dallas. Uh, I mentioned yesterday I like Golden State to win the title, but this should be a fascinating series, and how they guard Doncic. Um, will be fun to watch. Do you double him? Uh, do you just help? 
uh, off of uh, you know uh, off of him. You know they, they you don't want to leave certain shooters wide open. Um, you got to be careful when you when you help in this league. Even though Dallas doesn't have the greatest necessarily of supporting casts, uh, I would expect personally, Clay Thompson, maybe Draymond Green guarding him and more help defense versus just outright double teams. It's hard to double in the NBA uh, on a guy like Luca consistently. You will end up playing. Um, you know, being at a deficit, it'll be four on three basketball. And that's just, that's death. And usually it's death with a dunk or a wide open look. And then you're just praying that the other team misses. But I bet you that there is consistent every possession help on Luca to try to get him to either uh, shoot uh, contested shots or give the ball up kind of later in the shot clock. We'll see what happens. All right, up next, uh, where the commanders rank on the latest ESPN Seth Walder Analytics Football Power Index rankings. We'll get to that next, right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shay Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shay Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dominic. Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina wine mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. All right, some breaking news, actually, in between recording the first segment and getting ready here to start this second segment. 
Uh, the Eagles have signed James Bradbury to a one-year deal. So Bradbury, the corner in New York last year, uh, drafted by Ron Rivera and the Panthers back in 2016, uh, had a, a high-quality year, is a high-quality corner. I mentioned this when he became available, that Washington not only should be interested, but they should try to make it work that he would be the best cornerback on their team Bradbury signs, according to Schefter, a one-year, $10 million deal, $7.5 million of it guaranteed. So roughly $2.5 million in incentives. The other thing Schefter reported is that James Bradbury initially had 11 teams reach out. His agents whittled it down to three teams, and eventually he chose the Eagles over the others. I have no idea if Washington was one of the final three, but I would bet big money that Washington was one of the 11 to reach out. Washington uh, probably was looking for what Bradbury was going to command. The spot rack projection was like $12 million, so he got a little bit less than that. He got $10 million and really $7.5 million guaranteed, roughly. Uh, and Washington was probably looking to see what the market would be like and whether or not they could afford him. Because the bottom line is, once you took on $28.3 million in salary cap hit for next year, in the form of Carson Wentz in that trade, it limited your ability to be more active in free agency. Well, Kevin, what about A.J. Brown and all the money he just got from Philadelphia? Well, his cap number next year in Philadelphia is roughly five and a half to $6 million. So longer-term deal, able to structure it around the uh, cap. Uh, it had some cap flexibility with it. Uh, with the Carson Wentz deal, Washington didn't opt to restructure. And now, don't we know more than even before that this Carson Wentz trade really is about a one-year flyer no matter what they say? Because if they had significant interest in James Bradbury and thought that they really needed to have him, which I think they should have felt, they could have restructured Wentz now and made it work with Bradbury. Maybe they did offer to do that if Bradbury chose Washington. I don't know. And there's still a chance that Washington wasn't interested at all. But I would bet a lot of money that they were one of the 11 teams to reach out and at least express some interest as long as the price got to within their range. Washington didn't restructure Carson Wentz's $28.3 million salary cap next year because it would have then meant they would have taken on more dead cap money in 2023 and 2024 if it doesn't work out with Carson Wentz in 2022. That's why. They're hoping. They don't know for sure. Most of you who are fans of the team, and from my seat as well, there's hope. There's certainly not any sort of guarantee with Carson Wentz. I certainly expect better quarterback play than they've had in recent years, but I am not sure, and I would bet against, as I've said since they traded for him, that Carson Wentz is the long-term answer. I would bet against that. Philadelphia now uh, has a loaded roster. They have done a hell of a job. 
Um, offensively, they've got playmakers everywhere. In the backfield, at wide receiver, at tight end. The big question, of course, is at quarterback, their offensive line is outstanding. On defense, they're going to get Brandon Graham back to go with Fletcher Cox and Derek Barnett and the rookie Jordan Davis. They also drafted N'Kobe Dean at a, at a spot that was considered by most to be high value. They added Hassan Reddick. I think that's an underrated offseason signing. And now their corners are James Bradbury and Darius Slay. If Jalen Hurts is the answer, Philadelphia is a Super Bowl contender in 2022. I believe in Jalen Hurts. I actually like him as a player, and I think they made the playoffs in part because Jalen Hurts' dual threat ability. They ran the ball on everybody, and Jalen Hurts is a very good running quarterback. I think he's more than that, and I think we're going to start to find that out this year. But he did completely... S the bed in that playoff game against Tampa Bay. Philadelphia is loaded with draft choices next year as well. This is a team right now that has a chance to win the NFC East and win a bunch of games. And if Hertz really steps it up here in year three, I think Philadelphia is a sleeper NFC championship contender uh, in uh, 2022. That leads me to this. So I put out, I, I took a call this morning on the radio show and it made me think of something and I just said it out loud, even though I didn't do any research on it necessarily. But I said to somebody at some point this morning, you know, Washington a year ago defensively was supposed to be, you know, incredible. I mean, many people thought top five defense. I saw people predict Washington's defense to be the best in the league next year. And here we are a year later. And I said, you can make the case that Washington's defense on paper anyway, in terms of the talent it has is dead last in the NFC East. Philadelphia's defense is better. Dallas's defense is better. And the Giants defense is probably at least the same as Washington's. Washington's strength is still in the defensive front. If Chase Young bounces back and continues the trend, the the career trajectory that we thought he was on after year one, if he's healthy too, Montez Sweat, same thing. I don't think we have any concerns about John Allen. Deron Payne is playing in a contract year. He's got to step up and be big. They're going to have to get some help from their their second-round pick, Phil Mathis. But Philadelphia's defensively is more talented on all three levels than Washington. So is Dallas. And look, the Giants, first of all, they added Wink Martindale as their defensive coordinator. You know, they got a completely new coaching staff. But don't forget, they've got Leonard Williams and Dexter Lawrence up front. They drafted Kayvon Thibodeau. They've got Martinez and Ojolari, who I think is a star on the rise. You know, Washington has major questions at linebacker, obviously, and questions about their secondary. And so I asked the question on Twitter this morning, and we took calls. This time last year, most fans of this team, most observers and experts commenting on the team, expected the defense to lead the way. It it expected a defense that was going to be, you know, top five, maybe elite, you know, maybe the best in the league. 
Um, I expected it to be improved, but we all had an understanding of the quarterbacks that they would be facing and that there would be, you know, um, perhaps an improvement, but maybe statistically not what it was in 2020 because there was a major difference in the offenses and the quarterbacks that they were facing uh, on their 2021 schedule versus their 2020 schedule. And this year, you can just make the case very easily that you're more confident in the offense than you are on the defense. And that's the NFL for you, man. When you don't have the answer at quarterback, things change year to year, week to week. Last year, it was the defense that was going to carry them, and hopefully Fitzpatrick would be better than what they've had, and they could win nine or ten games and get back to the postseason uh, after making it in 2020. But it was going to be the defense that led the way, and it didn't. And this year, the offense. 63.6% of the people believe that the offense will lead the way this year, not the defense. 36.4% think it's the defense. What a difference a year makes. Last year, defense, defense, defense. This year, offense, offense, offense. No, it's not as loud this year as it was last year. There was a certainty to the conversation about the defense last year that does not exist this year. There are a lot of question marks around Carson Wentz in particular. Um, Reasonable, justifiable concerns uh, about Carson Wentz. He could be better, um, but will he be good enough? Uh, But last year, defense, 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 and people were 100% convinced that this was going to be a very good defense, if not an elite defense, and it wasn't. And this year, as the poll reflects, people are more inclined to lean in the direction of the offense leading the way. So that leads me to this uh, before we get to Scott. So ESPN does its power rankings, which are really voted on um, and discussed by the beat reporters for each of the 32 teams, like John Kime uh, here in Washington. Um, But Seth Walder, who writes uh, for their analytics group at ESPN, uh, he puts together something that's more predictive based on uh, a lot of different uh, metrics. Uh, He calls it his ESPN. It's called the ESPN Football Power Index. Uh, And it uses a lot of predictive kind of statistical modeling No matter how much you believe in that, this is just something that's thought out a little bit more. And it's the first thing that I have found, really, that's out there already post-draft that ranks defenses and offenses for next year. And I was just curious as to what anybody was saying about next year's teams uh, offensively and defensively because, as we just discussed, There is a belief now that Washington's offense is better than its defense. And I mentioned that I think Washington's defense could be, on paper, the worst defense in the division right now. I certainly don't think it's as good as Dallas's or Philadelphia's defense. And the Giants' defense, as mentioned, isn't terrible either. Uh, And has a new defensive coordinator. So this was the first thing that I found that kind of predicts offensive and defensive rankings for next year. Now, their overall, if you're curious, rankings of the teams, um, the football power index rankings has the Bills as the best team in the league, the Packers, Rams, Chiefs, Bucks, Cowboys, Chargers, Colts with Matt Ryan, Cardinals, and Browns as the top 10. 
They've got Washington at 20, ahead of the Giants by two spots, and behind Philadelphia by two spots. Philadelphia is at 18, the Giants are at 22. If you're wondering if Washington's overall football power index ranking of 20th is good enough to make the playoffs in the weakened NFC, it isn't. They've got Washington as the ninth best NFC team. They've got the Packers, Rams, Bucks, Cowboys, Cardinals, Vikings, Eagles, and Saints ahead of Washington. And their overall football power index rankings for next year. Now, as it relates to where their defense is supposed to be, at least based on this, that's what I was looking for. I was looking for something you know, in terms of what people out there outside of this area are thinking about Washington offensively and defensively this year. Well, Washington defensively, according to Seth Walder's Football Power Index, will have the 26th ranked defense in the league next year. 26th! Now remember, the, the uh, Football Outsiders DVOA metric of where they ranked last year, 27th. They were 27th last year at the end of the year. They were third the year before in the Football Outsiders uh, DVOA metric. But in this Football Power Index predictive ranking for next year on ESPN, produced by Seth Walder and his team in the analytics department at ESPN, Washington predicted to have the 26th best defense in the NFL next year, tied with the New York Football Giants. The Eagles are ahead of them. The Eagles are projected to have the 23rd ranked defense. Man, I would have thought that it would have been higher. And Dallas projected to have the sixth best defense in the NFL. So there is, you know, somebody outside of our world looking at all 32 teams and saying today on May 18th, and maybe the Eagles will be higher after acquiring Bradbury, uh, that Washington will have the 26th best defense in the NFL this year. What a difference a year makes. If you're wondering offensively, 19th, the 19th best offense in the league. Dallas is predicted to have the fourth best offense in the league. Philadelphia, the 17th best offense in the league. And the Giants, the 23rd best offense in the league. So Washington, third best offense in the division, tied for the worst defense predicted in 2022 in the division. There was something else, too, that I wanted to look for. Uh, if I found the you know kind of predictions on offensive and defensive rankings for next year, last year, defensively, with all of the positivity and optimism around its defense, we all really focused in on the fact that they were going to face a you know group of quarterbacks that seemed almost unprecedented in terms of a schedule. You know, Washington facing all those great quarterbacks. And by the way, not just great quarterbacks, highly skilled offensive teams. And if everybody stayed healthy for the most part, it was going to be murderer's row. And we acknowledged that while the defense was going to be great, or we thought it was going to be really, really good, you know, they had a challenge last year. So this year, if we flip it around and say we're more optimistic about the offense, 
Well, what will the offense be facing in terms of defenses on their schedule? Is it possible that the defenses that the offense, the improved offense is going to face are just so good that maybe we won't see the results? Or is it so bad that it should absolutely thrive next year? So based on this ESPN Football Power Index and the rankings that you know drove the overall team rankings, offense and defense, etc., I wanted to look at what they were predicting Washington's schedule to be next year defensively. And the results are kind of mixed. You know, they face the best defense they face based on, again, Seth Walter's predictions uh, for next year is Indianapolis's defense, predicted to be the third best defense in the NFL. That's followed by two games against Dallas, predicted to have the sixth best defense in the NFL. They'll also face Green Bay, the 10th best defense in the NFL based on these predictions. Uh, Tennessee, the 11th best defense in the NFL based on these predictions. Um, And believe it or not, Atlanta, who is predicted to have the 16th best defense in the NFL. So that would be five of their 17 games against defenses predicted to be in the top half of the league. Indy, again, two against Dallas, Green Bay, Tennessee, and Atlanta. Every other game, okay, the other 11 are against defenses in the back half of the league based on this prediction. San Francisco's defense is supposed to be, for whatever reason, much worse this year. 17th best. That's followed by some teams that really start to get into the lower end of the league in terms of predicted defensive um, rankings next year. Philadelphia, two games against them at 23. Then you go following that, the Giants at 26. We've already talked about they're tied with Washington for 26th. You get two games against them. Then you've got Jacksonville, predicted to be a terrible defense, at 28th. Um, then at 30th, the Bears, and then at 31st, Detroit, and 32nd, Houston. Washington has four games against teams that are predicted to rank between 28th and 32nd in the league, and they'll play the 30th, 31st, and 32nd ranked defenses if this turns out to be true in Chicago, Detroit, and Houston. So six games against the predicted top half of the league, 11 against the predicted back half of the league, and several games against teams ranked 23rd and lower. Two against Philly, all right? Two against the Giants, and then you get Jacksonville, Chicago, Detroit, and Houston. That's eight games against teams that are predicted to be 23rd or lower in the NFL next year. So offensively, and again, it might not work out that way, but offensively, it's not really what the defense was facing going in to 2021. All right, Scott Van Pelt next, right after these words from a few of our sponsors. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Doesn't cost you a thing. Rate us and review us, especially on Apple and Spotify. Um, it's a big help for us. Scott Van Pelt is at Southern Hills in Tulsa, Oklahoma, where he has been all week long uh, getting ready for the PGA Championship uh, this weekend at an iconic course. Uh, first of all, before we get to um, the course, which the players seem to like, uh, for those who have never been to Tulsa, what's Tulsa like? It's fascinating. Uh, I'm, I'm actually, as we speak, I'm on my drive-in, and um, it was this drive-in the other day that just my head was on a swivel, just trying to uh, process it all. It's just uh, it seems like it's kind of an eclectic mix of all sorts of things. Um, there are uh, lots of dispensaries if you need it, if you need weed of any kind. Um, <laughs> They're good. Plenty, plenty um, of those options. I don't know. Well, I, I, we actually had a meal, uh, a meal last night. Fantastic uh, meal with a, with a, a local. This is actually a great story. Um, it, there's a guy on Twitter named Bunky Perkins, who's who I follow, who's a very funny follow. And um, we met him out last night. He's a local resident. He set it up at this great restaurant. I'll give him a pop. It's called Smoke. If you're in Tulsa, go to Smoke. It's really good. And we were laughing about it going in because it's like, who knows who this per- this person could be an insane person. I mean, we could. We could wind up, you know, in, in, in a hotel in Broken Arrow with our organs harvested. <laughs> Broken you don't know what Arrow, yeah. Into here. Well, no, no, no. We, we met the real Monkey Perkins, who's a real-life person, who's a fantastic guy, great company. Uh, he set us up in this great uh, back room at this place called Smoke. And, you know, he was giving us kind of a lay of the land of, of Tulsa. And the funny thing, Kevin, is years and years and years ago, I used to come out to Oklahoma because my grandpa was from a town in the northeast. Uh, corner of the state called Miami. And so I'd been to Tulsa and then driven out. And, and I, I know some of the local things. I mentioned this spot where we used to go, and this guy, this guy was just laughing. He's like, you know Grand Lake? I'm like, yeah, you did. my family, great, my grand great-granddad had a house out there, and blah, 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 blah. Anyway, um, so I think it's, uh, I mean, it's, I don't pretend to know a lot about it. We drive to the golf course, and, and then we go back to our hotel. But uh, it's, it's an incredible golf course. I think they're going to have a phenomenal week here. So tell us about the golf course. The players seem to be raving about it. It's fantastic. Um, I'm just I, I, I walked uh, I walked the front nine on Monday with um, Brian Harmon. I walked the back nine yesterday with uh, it was a fun group. It was Max Homa, uh, a guy named Taylor Gooch, uh, Xander Schauffele, Patrick Cantlay, um, and it's just. It's just visually, it's, 
I think it's fun to look at because Gil Hance, who's the golf, golf course architect, came in here in, in, uh, about three years ago and kind of redid some things. The, the, the creeks are more pronounced. The bunkers are more pronounced. But just what you're looking at visually, um, I think it presents itself well. And it's a big ballpark. Uh, it's, a, it's a big golf course. Um, they've, they've taken off the rough from around the green so that it's all runoff. And so it's almost in some ways reminiscent of, like, say, a Pinehurst in that way. Right. But the greens aren't Pinehurst because Pinehurst greens, uh, as people listening that are golf fans know, are like these upside-down saucers. So it, it almost repels um, uh, a shot, even one that might be hit pretty well. It's not like that here. If you hit a good shot, you're going to stay on greens. But if you hit a poor shot and it's running, it's going to run through. So short game is going to be massively important here this week because uh, you're not going to hit all these greens because it's supposed to be windy. Uh, it's hot now, but it's going to be on the weekend like in the 60s, which is odd. Um, by the way, I said it's going to be 97 at home on yeah, Sunday 97. or Saturday. Yep. What are we doing? Very hot. That's, that's no good at all. But I, it's just it's it's big. Um, you know, it, it, talking. you always talk about score and like, with the win, you don't know. No one's ever got to double digits here. This is the eighth major they've had. And I think somebody could, because uh, I think someone, these guys are so good, Kevin, if somebody shot, you know, 64, you know, even 63. I mean, I, would, would I be shocked if someone did that? No, that's what these guys do. Um, but but if it gets windy and it gets, the greens do get a little bit um, faster, which they could, because they dry out quick when the humidity's gone, um, then it'll be a it'll be a massive battle. Well, what do you think the the proje- what is the projected winning score this week? No, no clue. I mean, like like I said, talking to Andy. I mean, the, 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 this is all just sort of the, the kind of like for instance, uh, I had a, a talk yesterday with a guy named Scott Replank, who of course is a well known name from um, who's not uh, on the tour now, but played for many many years. Um, lives about an hour away and has played here a bunch. In fact, I think in 2007 on the weekend, he might have been in the group with Tiger on Saturday, but playing played well in 07. But he was, he was, you know, we were having this conversation. I said, I said, you think somebody could shoot this? And he said, well, sure. But he said, the wind's the great unknown um, because when the wind blows and the temperature drops, because it's like 90 today, but when it gets to the 60s, um, as Scott said, the, and, the, and the humidity goes away, the greens do get quicker quickly. And then all of a sudden, it, you know, the, uh, anything under par becomes really hard to find. So I think whatever Tiger shot in 2007, I want to say it was seven or eight, most of it was done in one round. Um, he shot a 63 in one, and had one round of that. So all, almost all the damage was done in uh, one day. So uh, I keep thinking somebody's going to shoot 10. Um, but but I could be completely wrong if the, if the weather's uh, not conducive to shooting something in the 60s. That was his only round of 63 in a major, right? Mm, that sounds right. That sounds right. What are 63 you, forever is the lowest round. Yeah. Go ahead. What are you expecting from him this weekend? That's what a, a lot of people want to know. I mean, anything I say is a guess because the last time we saw him, he was, he was shooting 78-78 at Augusta on the weekend and, and, and did it with a smile because, you know, I think it represented some significant and, and we haven't seen him since then. And so I don't know how you can possibly know. Uh, I mean, I know, I think he's a li- 
my understanding he's is he's a little better physically. I mean, he's he's maybe a little stronger. Um, but this walk's no treat either. It's not Augusta, but I mean, there's some significant um, hills. I mean, it's called Southern Hills for a reason. It's it's you know after that first tee, I was joking the other day when I was walking with Brian Harmer. I said I just want to lay down and roll down the hill. It seems like it'd be easier. It's like, um, it's straight. But, to, you broke I mean, up there. It's straight down. It's straight but, but, downhill. But, but, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's like it's elevated T, and you walk, you you, you walk straight down a very steep hill off of one T. But I mean, the, the thing, like for instance, the, the last time we saw Jordan Spieth, um, he played at Augusta, he missed the cut. Well, then he won at Harbor Town, he finished second last week um, in Texas. So you have some idea of where he is. Well, we haven't seen Tiger since the Masters. So what do I expect when I say, well, I think he'll do this? I don't have a freaking clue. So I mean, I'm, I'm I'm happy to say something if you want me to make it up. But, but well, I don't want I you don't to make it up. Anyone could answer. But, but, well, I, but how yeah. can I answer that question when I have well, no idea? I haven't seen him, and I don't know. Okay, I still think it was a decent question and one that people would want the answer to, even if of the answer is you don't know. No, 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 no. I'm, um, not, I'm not faulting your question. <laughs> no, I know I'm you're telling, not. I know I, you're not. I'm telling you. But, but here's, I'm telling you I don't have an answer for your question. Here's, I have no answer. Here's the thing that we know, don't we? I mean, he could injure himself again this weekend, and, and there could be a back injury or something. But it does appear, given that there was speculation that he might not play this, um, and now all of a sudden That's there's true. talk that he might play the Memorial, that Tiger, for what we, you know, Tiger's back to a certain degree, isn't he? Well, he's back playing golf. I mean, like, the, the whole definition of back is, that, I mean, has has been all, you know, it, it's been Tiger's back. What's, what does that mean? Is he back to being Tiger? Like, back to being the Tiger Woods that was the guy that won, like, seven of 11 majors? No, he's not back, but he's back playing. That's all That's all you can ask for. So, I mean, yes, I, I'm with you, because when, when he left Augusta, I thought, you know, maybe maybe he doesn't play again until St. Andrews. But the, 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 the like his, his competitive fire is such that he's not just going to sit around if he's, if he's able to do it at all. So, I don't know. I mean, I was told that he was, he was very, um, you know, enthusiastic about, hey, man, let's go. I mean, that, that, that I know, just in terms of being his, his appetite to get out there and compete is, is, is there. Um, he's not here, again, it's not ceremonial. It's not just because he's got nothing else to do. It's because he wants to try to compete. So, I think that's, a, that's optimistic. And, I mean, the golf... The golf looked pretty good early at Augusta, and then I think I think the, the toll of the weekend, and you know, it was, it was very cool, and the walk, and all the rest of it. By Saturday, Sunday, I mean, he, you know, seventy-eight, seventy-eight. I mean, I think that's the one time you'll ever see him shoot that and smile walking off a golf course. Um, I don't think he's he's not here hoping to do that. I know that much, um, but I just haven't got a clue about what what's reasonable to think or what his form is because we just don't have any anything to go off of. Yeah, I wonder when we will, as golf fans, get to the point where it's not exciting or we don't think deep down somewhere that he's actually got a chance since he's playing. Like, I, I, I hope it's still years from now. I hope we still have, like, a three-, four-, five-year run of Tiger playing enough to think that he's got a chance because I just think it makes um, the overall event just much bigger. Uh, totally agree with that, and I, and I do think I do think that what Phil did last year, winning at fifty one, I think, or he was about just about fifty one because yeah. his birthday's in June. Um, that that Tiger's physical fitness outside of all of these been through in terms of surgeries and all, 
gives you gives you the the hope that you'll get that. That was interesting. I was talking to one of the players about sort of about Tiger and like, what do you think in terms of how long? And I and I, I said, I don't know. I you know, his I think his hunger to compete is well, isn't ever going to wane. Um, but it is a tricky kind of a deal for the game because there's there's a ton of players who are exciting and guys that people like to watch. You know, Max Homa, the one in our neighborhood. Yeah. People really like Max. He's, yeah. a, he's a fantastic guy and a likable guy and a guy worth rooting for. And there's so many different types of players like that in the game. But they are the would be the first to say none of us are, are that guy. None of us could captivate people's imagination and attention uh, like Tiger. I mean, look, there's a reading, reason why our ratings were what they were for the Masters and CBS's ratings were what they were. It's because, you know, because he's in the mix. Everyone knows that. So let's talk about Phil for a moment, because I think a lot of people start paying attention for the majors. And I know this question was asked prior to the Masters, but, you know, he had a chance to play this weekend and defend Mm -hmm. his PGA championship. In the simplest of terms for people who haven't been paying attention, why isn't Phil Mickelson playing golf right now? Well, I can only guess. I mean, he... He was linked to this Saudi back tour. He made comments to an author named Alan Shipnick, who wrote a biography, unauthorized biography, which I guess came out this week, where he made the comments about the Saudis, and and they were pretty, you know, inflammatory. And then he ended up releasing this lengthy statement apologizing to pretty much everybody other than, I guess, the PGA Tour for what he had to say, and and then he basically put himself in exile, saying he was stepping away, and he hasn't come back. And so why is he not here this week? Well, I don't know. And is it because he didn't want to have to, as a defending champion, and, he, and well, just as Phil Mickelson, he would have had a press conference. Well, had he had a press conference, Kevin, then it would have been packed, and people would have said, what exactly did you mean by all the different things that you said? And then he'd have had to answer them. Putting out a statement is you can you control the, the narrative and you avoid being asked any pointed questions. And I just my sense is that his appetite to be asked questions about uh, what he had to say is is nil, or he'd already done it. Um, and so it creates this fascinating dual storylines where a year ago at, at Kiowa, he's the oldest major winner ever. And it was, you know, he's a, he's always been a beloved player. And when we left Kiel, Kevin, had you told me that a year later, Tiger Woods, who'd just been in this horrific accident, would play at Southern Hills, and that Phil wouldn't, I would I wouldn't have believed either. But both are true. And so, at some point, Phil will resurface, and and I just I don't know when it will be. Is it going to be at one of these Saudi events where he's going to play? Um, because at some at some point somebody's going to ask him questions about what his story is and and well, what he's doing, but but the, but but he he hasn't answered any questions yet. All he's done is put out a statement. They're going to ask him about the forty million dollar reported forty million dollars in in gambling losses during a five year period, among other uh, as well yeah. among <laughs> among other things. I, it's weird to me, this situation right now, and this is obviously from afar, but I'll try to explain it as best I can. Phil's always struck me as a guy that, you know, has all the answers and is rarely wrong in his own mind, and this just seems to me like 
you know, the, the people are, are getting, you know, essentially forced into exile for just a lot worse than, than what he said or what he was contemplating with respect to the Saudi tour or any of the other stuff that's in this book. And I guess my, my, my feeling is it's, it's like really weird that he hasn't just stepped up and faced the music and explained it away the way he believes he can explain it away. Um, you know, where he gets very, you know, philosophical and sort of his answers and, and explains as, as a guy that, you know, kind of comes off as a guy that thinks he's smarter than everybody in the room. And yet what is true right now is what you said. He's in exile. But, and, and right, so here's what I don't know. Is that self-imposed? Did the tour ask him to sit, uh, sit down for some period of time or, and, and, and suspend him? If so, for what? Like, over, over what would he have been suspended? Uh, it seems that, like that, that, that's the thing, is that there's, there's, there's these questions you don't know. I mean, it seems like he stepped away. I mean, he said he was stepping away to work on, I don't know the exact wording, something about to try to be a better this, that, and the other thing. And okay, um, and look, the, he, somebody's playing on this tour, and the, the, I mean Lee Westwood was asked some questions about it, and, and he, he he explained how there are a bunch of different sports that compete there, and golf certainly has through the years, and you know there there will be players who, who turn up to play at this event, uh, at these events, I should say. Um, I think you know the way Phil described them, and you know I, I, you know talking about the Saudis in general. Right. I mean, everyone knows the comments you made to Shipbook. Um, I, I don't know that, that those on their own would have, they, they wouldn't have prevented him from being a defending champion here. It, 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 but it would have required him sitting down and, and being asked questions about it. And he didn't want to do it. He didn't put out the, he didn't say, I'm not playing it. He, he told the PGA on Friday afternoon late, and the PGA of America put the statement out. Right. So it's just, I don't know, it creates a very, um, it gets what's it? It gets curiouser and curiouser, right? I mean, the longer that he says nothing publicly on the, you know, on the record, then the, the more you, you just are left to wonder, well, what, what are we doing here? Maybe Bunky Perkins has the answer uh, to all of that. Um, I don't know. Bunky knows where to get a good meal in Tulsa. <laughs> I know that much. Yes, yeah, smoke. All right, uh, real quickly, um, who do you like and why? Um, and then give me like a sleeper that people aren't thinking about that you think's got a really good chance. Well, I think the conversation has to start with Scotty Scheffler for yep. the very simple fact that he's the number one player in the world. The last major was the Masters. He showed up ranked number one and won. And he won when and when the Big 12 played here back in, when he was in college. He played an event here, won. He, he's played, uh, he's called this his favorite golf course in the world. Um, I mean, he's that guy, right? I mean, you show up number one at the Masters and win. I mean, that's only ever happened once before. It was Ian Woosden many years ago, uh, and and it and it's a course where you have history and you say it's your favorite. I mean, sometimes I've said this a lot about this uh, question when I've been asked. Sometimes Kevin, I think we work really hard hmm. to try to be clever and figure out like a sneaky answer. Sometimes you just say what's obvious, like that. Scotty Scheffler. Um, you start you start with him, um, but as I've walked it uh, the last couple of days, I'm getting ready to head out and, and take another stroll. I mean, there's a it, the, the fairways are massive. You're, if good drivers of the golf ball are gonna are gonna play well. Good ball strikers are gonna play well, and short game is really important. I really like speed since the Masters. 
He won at Bay, he won at Harbortown, and he finished second last week. And he, his short game is as clever as any in the world. Um, he can really rely on that, and it would be a f- tremendous storyline. No one's ever finished the, the slam with the PGA, which is what Speed now is going to spend the rest of his career trying to do. Um, it wouldn't shock me at all if he were to play well and win. Um, it's ball hitters, like guys that really are known for ball striking. Amorikawa, I would expect to play well here. I think Xander Shoffley's a guy who, off last week where he shot 61, very different kind of golf course, but he played great on Sunday. And he's the kind of player I think at some point has to just bust through in a major. Um, a name that probably you're not going to hear said necessarily, but is a really well-regarded player and has some of the things you want to you want to lean into this this week. Maybe a Daniel Berger. Um, I think Berger's the guy that could play well in this golf course. So I I wouldn't uh, call him a sleeper per se. I just don't think you'd hear that name necessarily mentioned on our air or even maybe even the Golf Channel. Um, beforehand, but if you're in one of those pools and you're picking a guy from this column and that column and the other column, um, I, don't know, I think he's, he's a name that might be um, a decent name to, to lean into. I like Harmon, too. Uh, now, granted, I'll, I just want to be honest, I, I told Steve this on our podcast, Kevin, whoever I walk with, I see him hit it, and I go, well, <laughs> Brian Harmon's good. Yeah. He could play well here, but um, he drives it great and has played well in majors. He's one of those sneaky guys that you don't think about him uh, you know, first or last. He's a little. He's a little guy, him. isn't he? He's not a big guy. He is. A, he's. A, we were laughing about you know about my my height and his height, and we you know we we made a good combo. Um, but he's he's just an awesome dude. Huge sports fan. We we had a we had a great walk just talking about sports. And you watch this guy kind of you know absent-mindedly. Like I mean, he's he's doing his work, but I mean, he's the chatter is he's we're engaged in conversation the whole time, and I'm trying to make sure I'm not bothering him, right? Um, but you're just watching him not really grinding seemingly, but just effortlessly hitting fairways and greens and rolling in putts. And you just think, Jesus Christ, these people play a game that is just so astounding, man. And when you see it up close, it just makes you realize that you and your buddies and me and my buddies, I mean, we like to play, (laughs) but oh my gosh, we don't, we don't do anything resembling any of what they do. Um, so back to Scheffler. So is that our new thing? We're going with the obvious now. No, I'm just saying that. Like, no, I, I, I actually I, think I, going I with that... the obvious now is the contrarian move. I think so many people now are on to this. Oh, it's too obvious. Can't go there. Maybe that's the new contrarianism is to go with the obvious. I don't know if it's the contrarian. I just I think that we all, and, and by we I mean people like you and me, Kevin, who who spend our time in in the content of of sports and and how presenting it, however however we do. I think we can we can sometimes tr- try too hard to figure out something to make us seem smart. And in this case, I'm just saying it isn't necessary. <laughs> You can you can point to the guy who's number one who won the last Masters who says this is his favorite course and go him. Let's start with him. And okay, we got him. Okay, good. Um, now you want to now now I mean look, John Rahm's just as obvious. Could he win? Of course. I think I picked him for ESPN.com. I mean I get asked so many times. By the end of the week, I've told <laughs> somebody everybody. The, the winner somewhere. You know what I mean? Um, so I just I just think Scheffler maybe isn't the most. You, you know, you're supposed to have some kind of insight that's beyond the obvious, right? And I don't know that I do here. Um, 
he's he's the guy. I mean, he's and he and it's amazing how quickly he became that. He's earned that that kind of those kind of bona fides. Have you gotten over the caps or not? Um, sure. I mean, I, I you, you can make fun of me, and you I'm, do. Like, you, you, you <laughs> think not, I, I'm you, not making fun of you. I know how upset you were last Friday night. I just I am asking a simple question. I, I, I think the Stanley Cup playoffs are fascinating because the difference between winning and losing is incredibly minuscule. I mean, look at the look at the cat look at Sunday in the NBA and look at Sunday I know. in the, the overtime playoffs and the blowouts. There were two two NBA games blowouts both two Stanley Cup playoff games overtime both. Look at the Caps. They're up two games to one. They're up two to one in game four. They hit a post with an empty net. If they make that, they're ahead three to one in the series. Instead, they don't. The Panthers tie it, and they lose in overtime. The Caps are up three nothing in game five. The Panthers, who had the most comebacks in the NHL, come back and win that. The Caps have the lead in game six. Overtime, they lose that. I mean, the difference between the one seed beating the Caps and the Caps being the team that moved on was fractional. And I just think that that would be an incredibly painful existence. And it's not exclusive to the Caps. Look at the Toronto Maple Leafs. They haven't won a playoff series in almost 20 years. And they have a great team. And they couldn't beat the Lightning because you can't beat the Lightning. You have to, you, you have to kill them 26 times for them to die. It's, um, they're, it, I, I really love them. I can't skate. I've never played hockey in my whole life. But I find the Stanley Cup playoffs to be the most compelling theater in playoff sports. I think it's true. You know that I love watching these Stanley Cup playoffs, these, you know, these overtime games, these seventh and deciding games. I think one of the real ironies of the conversation about hockey, especially with people like the the two of us, where we'll say there's this incredible fine line and, you know, and, and they've had all these game seven losses, the Caps, and if not for those, maybe Ovechkin's got three Stanley Cup appearances and, and one Stanley Cup title and it's random and this and that. And and I think there's a certain truth to that. And at the same time, it's hard to find a sport with more dynasties than the, than the NHL. You know, long runs of Stanley yeah, Cup winners. Yeah, that's interesting. And I mean, that, that's what makes this Tampa Bay team incredible to me. And, and we've had their coach, Coach Cooper, on, um, on a number of occasions. I, I really, he's got a really interesting story, how he got where he is. And, and the, the first year they won... I had written down Virginia. I was going to ask him about Virginia because they had been a one, of course, the number one seed, and they lost. And just like that, Tampa Bay had been the one seed the year before they won their first cup, and they they got swept by the eight seed. It was the Blue Jackets. And as he was getting ready to come on, I saw he had a Virginia hat, and I said, "Is that a Virginia hat?" And he said, "Oh yeah." And I said, "That's incredible." And we that's where we started, but uh, about how he they, he kind of embraced that notion with his guys that look. You, you can have expectation if something goes wrong, but you come back from it and you win a title the way Virginia did. The, the UMBC thing for role. people who aren't following, following when they lost to UMBC as a one versus a 16. Right, Virginia, yes, that's what I'm trying to say. The yes, Virginia sir. basketball team lost as a one seed. Then they came back the next year as a, and they won a title. And so Cooper had kind of embraced that, that idea with his team. And since then, they've won two Stanley Cups in a row. And they were down to Toronto, a team that, was expected to finally win a series, and they went up in Toronto and won a Game 7. And I just, 
it is interesting that, that I mean, there are two in a row in in this in this era is is dynastic. You know, no, we haven't seen a team win three in a row in any sport since the Lakers in the early two thousands. So um, that is fascinating that, that a sport where the, the margins are so narrow. Um, it seems to be so hard. Well, I mean, you know, I did, I did more, this. More common than other sports. Yeah, I did, I, I did this a few weeks ago. It's like if you start with like Montreal and, and in the 70s, then the Islanders 70s into the 80s, then Edmonton and Gretzky, and then Lemieux and Pittsburgh, and then Detroit, and then, you know, you had, you know, the Penguins yeah, and, and, the, and the Blackhawks, and, and now you've got the Lightning with two in a row. It's just, um, you know, you, you obviously had the Blues and the Caps who had never – won it uh well maybe the blues had won it many many years ago but it it had been been forever but it's just it's a sport where everybody talks about me included knowing nothing about the sport how you know pucks bounce off a pad and off a post and and go either in or out and that's the difference and yet there have been so many dominant teams in the history of the sport but true but 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 i do think what makes it such incredible theater is to go back and and retrace the steps and see how close it was to to being you a know lot. yeah a loss the, the other outcome I mean how how, how I mean the, look the Colorado Avalanche played uh, Nashville in the first round and they swept them and they were up five nothing in the first game in the first fifteen minutes and they you know they swept and it was easy um, and they happened to win an overtime game last night against the Blues but I mean, other like mostly it's 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 series like the Caps and the Panthers. Yeah. Where it's it could be anything. I mean, it could have been the the other team could have won, and had the Capitals won, nothing about that outcome would have felt inappropriate. Nothing about it would have felt like well, they shouldn't have been the team that won. It was it was very close to being just that, and I guess that's what makes me so compelled by a sport that I have absolutely no understanding of how. I couldn't do any of what they do, uh, and and I do I do enjoy it. And I was and I was bummed for them. I, I like this team. They're an older team. You know, you're only going to get so many more of these with that kind of core group of guys that were part of that cup winning team. And and maybe that's the problem. I mean, I mean, you know, you, the chatter from other people is, ah, you're old. You got all your money sunk into older people. Blah blah blah. Um, Yeah, people have explained it to me. It's funny about that because people have explained to me over the last week. um, The irony is that you know the window was closing when they won it in 2018. You know, according to a lot of the hockey people, and then they won it, and then it was well, you know, if they're going to take advantage of it, Ovechkin's got to keep up the pace, and he has. You know, he has not fallen off, and yet they've gone out in the first round four straight years now. Um, and that, right, but I mean, yeah. again, look, look at how, look at how they lost. I, I mean, yeah. how they lost to Carolina, how they lost this, and you know, you lose Tom Wilson in the middle of that first game. Is it a different series if you have him? Is it a different series if Ovechkin's completely right? I mean, who knows? It doesn't. I guess in the end, it doesn't matter because it's you know, it's it, it's over and it's over. So I mean, but this is a very long answer to it. I was bummed for them. I I really enjoyed. Uh, we went down to that game. I look forward to going to more in the future. My kids had a blast, and uh, I explained on the uh, <laughs> I explained on my podcast, and my little guy's like, "Who's over chicken?" Charlie saw the jersey. Charlie like, said, "Over over chicken, over chicken." Yeah, he goes, "Who's over chicken?" Yeah, and then Sam got mad. He goes, "He's your best player, Charlie." <laughs> <laughs> and so in our house, 
Number eight is over chicken. Well, I will, I'll tell you this. I think I've told you this before. You know how much my boys loved going to games, Maryland basketball games in particular. But for a truly young person, and, and by the way, I think this goes for any age, I think hockey is the best sport live. Like, I think it's much better, or the disparity between live and television is the greatest with hockey. It is so great live. Um, and not, it's good on television. And we just talked about how we're both, you know, into the NHL playoffs, especially. You know, I, I think somebody should build an app that indicates, you know, that basically tells you when a game is going into overtime in the NHL playoffs and what network it's on and where to turn to right away because there's nothing more dramatic um, in terms of the ending uh, than, than a hockey overtime playoff game. But it's a great product live, really good product live. Truly, and I, I think I haven't been to a ton of Capitals games, but I always leave there thinking, it's a great building. There's great energy. They do a tremendous job with just the the, the, the lighting and the atmosphere and the mood that's created, yep. right? With the with the production. I think. I mean, I, that's. I don't know that it's unique to them. I just know that they do it really well. And in terms of what it looks like and what it sounds like, and it's you know, it's re- the kids are just wow, it's so loud. I said, well, it's loud because they scored six goals. I mean, it's not always you don't always have this many eruptions. Um, but it is, it's breathtaking, the speed of it, and to see it, to see plays executed live, um, I mean, it's, it's not unlike walking right next to these players in the fairway and seeing things and, and realizing what they're capable of. And when you sit down there close and you see these athletes on the ice doing what they're doing, you just shake your head and... Uh, amazement because it's incredible uh, that that sport up uh, up close. It's just just breathtaking. All right, I know you have to go, but I I would just thought of something because I was just looking um, at TV and Patrick Beverly's. So been you on... don't care that I have to go and are going to ask me something else? Yeah, exactly. Patrick Beverly's been on your okay, network all week long, and he's made headlines all week long. And mm-hmm. I remember, and it was just recently for whatever reason, in in a conversation we were having, Pat. Beverly's name came up, and you said about him as an interview, what? That I found him to be one of the most interesting people that I've ever talked to in all of my time, because he's interesting, and he asks questions about you, because he's interested in you, and he's sincere about that. Uh, at least that's that's the conversations that he and I have had, and I, I mean, his story of how he came up, and how he kind of had to go overseas, and, and, and really create a lane for himself which he has um i've always appreciated and these last couple of days he's just gone on tv with a flamethrower i guess (laughs) it's incredible what he said about chris paul called him the cone but you know it's so interesting about guys like him first of all he's one of these crazy competitive dudes i've always loved watching him but i think guys that have played overseas for a long period of time before they make it there's a more well-roundedness to them than just the guy that goes straight to the NBA, especially like at a high school or from the G League. I think you get that from. Well, there's, there's, a, there's an. I also think there's an appreciation that's different. If, if, sure. if all you've ever known is being a five star who went to a high level program, who was a lottery pick, well, then this was always ordained from the start. And I don't fault that player for not having perspective because all if all you've ever known is, you know, high thread count sheets 
and filet, you know, you, you, you sleep comfortably and you eat well, all right? If you have not, if you've not known that and you've had to go play abroad and you've had to create some kind of a path for yourself and are doubted and are traded and whatever else, then I definitely think that the chip that you put on your shoulder that becomes, I mean, in his case, it's, it's, it's a boulder. My God, he's like Santa Claus with, with, a, with a bag full of rocks he's carrying around. That's real. It's not manufactured. Um, now, I hadn't, I've been out here working, so I, all right. I've seen is sort of the chatter on Twitter or whatever. I mean, I, and I say this saying I like Patrick Beverly because I do. At some point, I, I don't know that we need days and days of him going on TV and just saying everyone sucks. <laughs> I don't know if that's what he's been doing. Well, he hasn't but, been doing that. He has not know. been doing that. But I, I've been, I've, no, it just seems yeah. like he's got a, he's got a bone to pick with Chris Paul. Right. Uh, and, yeah, and others, but I think he's been highly complimentary of others as well. All right, uh, enjoy this weekend. Uh, I will talk to you uh, soon. Thank you for doing this. It's my pleasure as always. Be well. All right, we are done for the day. I'll be back tomorrow with Tommy. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.